Welcome to Crime Corner, where we examine all things crime, whether it be on the page, on the screen, on the street, or in the courtroom. I'm Matt Coyle, author of the Rick Cahill Crime Series, and I'll be your host for as long as it takes. My guest tonight, Rachel Halzo Hall, is the author of eight novels, although my math might be wrong, including the critically acclaimed Detective Eloise Norton series, her standalone thriller, They All Fall Down, which came out in April and pays homage or homage, I'm never sure which, to Agatha Christie's <laughs> and therefore none. Uh, like I said, just came out in April, not too long ago. The third in her Lou Norton series, Trail of Echoes, received a Kirk. There's a lot of stuff. She got a lot of nice things here. Trail of Echoes received a Kirkus star and was one of Kirkus Review's book that, came, that kept us up all night, which is always nice for mysteries. Land of Shadows and Skies of Ash were included on the Los Angeles Times, books to read this summer for 2014 and 15. And the New York Times, we've heard of them, called Lou Norton a formidable fighter, someone you want on your side. Lou was included in The Guardian's top ten female detectives. It's endless. Detectives in fiction, Rachel has collaborated with some guy named James Patterson on Bookshots. Uh, on The Good Sister. She's a featured uh, writer on NPR's acclaimed Crime in the City series and the National Endowment for Arts Weekly podcast. Rachel has also served as a mentor in AWP's Writer to Writer program and is currently on the board of directors for of the Mystery Writers of America. She was named one of – see, there's even more. She was named one of Apple's iBooks 10 Authors to Read in 2017, and she lives in Los Angeles with her husband and daughter, Welcome, Rachel Hazel Hall. That was a lot. Hey, Matt. How are you? Thank Good. you. It doesn't seem like enough, though, right? <laughs> it always we're well, always looking to do more, and what's what's next? You know, because we're crazy people like that. It's never it's enough. True. It's never enough in two yeah, ways. Just, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was like, people just say those things because they're they want to be nice to to you sometimes. And okay, so my golden retriever just climbed onto the couch with me. So I thought ex- I heard something. excuse me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's her. Mm-hmm. My yellow lab Angus is wearing the uh, cone of uh, condemnation oh. because you do that a hot spot. So if he comes in here, he'll be banging around. And uh, he's only made one appearance <laughs> when I've done a show. He pretty much stays out, but uh, he has to rain. <laughs> yeah, she has an ear for podcasts, so she always comes in. She's very interested in podcasts, so yeah. yeah, that's the only time she comes in when I'm on the phone. This one may cure of that. So, they all fell down. Yes. Tell us a little bit about it. It is an homage, and I think I, I say it the French way, the homage like to um, the Christie's, uh, <laughs> and then there were none where she takes um, – a bunch of people off to an island, and uh, they face their sins. And so I did the same thing, but I wanted it more American, and I wanted it also to tell um, the story from the point of view of an African-American woman. So I, too, take seven sinners who each represent uh, one of the you know the deadly sins, uh, pride, lust, envy, you know, all those. And I... Uh, I proceed to bring justice to them one by one on an island off of uh, the coast of Mexico. And it was, you know, a departure for me because I've been writing the Lou Norton series now for four years. So I got to do something uh, different, something fun. Well, it is fun read. And uh, speaking of Mexico, so the island is called Mictlan Island. 
I looked up yes. Miklon Island online, and I got some Miklon stuff, but not the island. So I'm guessing you fictionalized it. No, I no. fictionalized it because I wanted um, I wanted to create a place uh, that was, you know, I love Mexico, and right now, you know, it's being otherized and it's being kind of um, cast as the the bad guy, and I wanted to take this place that, you know, is getting a lot of, of, of bad press by, by some people and actually have the bad people be the ugly Americans that come over and visit it. But I also wanted to infuse some of the, the um, mythologies that I've grown up with. So, All right. uh, for instance, the name of the boat is named after, you know, the boat that takes people over the River Styx, for instance. Yeah. So to hell, it's purgatory. So I wanted to use that word Miklon because um, I cannot remember. It's 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 another word that's infused with uh, mythology, and I wanted to take all this that I've you know learned about and grew up with, and make it into a dest a lovely destination with a house named Artemis, who is of course the goddess of the hunt. Very appropriate. Again, um, it's funny because they're on the. Uh boat that goes over the river six to hell but actually they're going to paradise but they are meeting their own purgatory so there's a lot of good stuff in there uh-huh yes 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 i wanted it all i wanted all of my you know going to church all my life all that stuff in my <laughs> english american lit background i wanted it all in there and i've been you know i've been thinking about it for a while um like when everyone saw the movie seven that was when yeah. i first thought oh man i want to do a sin's uh, Sin's book, but I didn't know how to do it, and I kept playing with it and playing with it for a bunch of years, and it wasn't mm. until I uh, finished, I think it was Trail of Echoes, the third in the Lou Norton series, that I finally uh, kind of knew how I wanted to do it. So it took, you know, it took a while for those uh, new writers who think that you have to have an idea immediately and if it doesn't come to you it's dead it's not that's not true because it took me a while to come up with this idea and how to actually write it especially from a first person perspective yeah because if you know the original story you know she does a there's a trick there and it's hard to do when it's a first person uh, point of view so here's to keep it at something until you, you until you get it right yeah, it's uh, <clears throat> that is a really good lesson because um, sometimes it takes you a while to be, become the writer to write the story, or for just all the things to fall into place. So, were right. you when you were going through all this? Were you actually doing some writing, or were you just in your head? I got this. I, I want to write this book. It's in my head. I'm working out in my head, but I don't know how exactly how to get there. Or were you actually um, sketching some things out? Were you attempting to write first drafts? I did a first draft, and it was a pretty bad first draft, but I allow myself to do bad first drafts. But in between Me writing too. a first draft and writing, yeah, it's like, well, this is this is some freedom right here. Um, I, do, I use a lot of post-it notes, and whenever an idea came for this story, I just post-it noted or memo pad it and put it in the folder that I keep for you know each story. And by the time you know it was starting to coalesce, I had all my little scraps that may not actually mean anything, you know, or may not have made it into the, the, the really good draft, but it was there to just keep my mind 
going at this. You know, it's funny how you may have a problem with something that's coming up in your writing and you go and take a shower or you go to sleep and you're, you know, you're, everyone knows that your mind just keeps working at it. And so by the time I got to come back to the story, my mind had worked on it enough and had been um, incited to think even more about it because, you know, I'm post-it noting all over the place that when it came time to finally do something and be brave enough to write it, you know, I was I was ready and excited about it. So did it happen to fall at the right time after your fourth Lou book or – did you decide I want to put Lou aside for a second and now I'm going to go back to the um, they all fall down? Well, I wanted to keep on with, with Lou, but, you know, we needed to take a break because, you know, publishers want big bestsellers. And while she is a beloved character and she's got incredible reviews and, you know, white readership, it wasn't performing at top 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 levels so we thought you know let's chill on it for a moment and let's see what other stories i got and that was my chance to say well i have this story right here and i've been working on it and that's when um uh, forge looked at it and said hey we like this so yeah that's that's it was in some ways out of necessity because there weren't for the moment going to be any um any more of the North books. I hope that, you know, eventually it changes because I, I really liked writing her story and I really enjoyed, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a native Angelino. So I like going around my city looking for bodies and reasons <laughs> behind why those bodies are where they are. And in a way that no one gets to read, you know, stories featuring, uh, black characters and native Angelino black characters south of the 10 freeway. So, you know, I, I hope to come back to that someday. Well, I mean, from obviously all the, I took like 10 minutes reading off all the accolades. So <clears throat> you would think they kind of <laughs> smarten up, but you never know. <clears throat> so know. you never know. Your first novel, A Quiet Storm, came out in 2002. Is that right? Yes, it was actually uh, the first anniversary of 9-11 it came out. So it was 9-11-2002. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow. so I'm celebrating like a 17th birthday or something like that for, for a quiet storm. Yeah, wow. that was – it was crazy. It, you know, I, I was blessed to have the you know, the big house. It was Scribner. But it was published on the first anniversary of 9-11, and it was a story about a black family uh, – dealing with mental illness. And so I don't think there was much, um, no one really cared at that point because we're all mourning the first anniversary of 9-11, you know? Yeah. So that was, that was difficult. And it was also that point of time where Sister Soldier came out. So it was this big move toward urban lit. And my voice was not necessarily an urban lit type of story. So I had a very, I, you know, I had a hard time with, um, with that because I don't think that book has still earned out to this day. Maybe, well, at least they haven't told me if it has or not. But it, you know, it was a, it, it too got great accolades and attention, and yet ellipses, and yet right. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's a great book. 
and I think it was an important book. And for a first novel, you know, it's it's it'll always. I remember getting my first batch, you know, that first batch of books in your box and going out to celebrate and thinking, oh my gosh, one day I'm going to be as as big as Stephen King when you're a baby writer. <laughs> oh, yeah, still time. Those, still were, time. those yeah, those were the days. But it was you were so naive. You had no idea, you know, what your career was about to be. All you had was, you know, what you've seen on TV and the few writers that um that you're you're aware of and that you've compared yourself to. You're like, well if they can get all that I can possibly get all that too. And so, you know, it was one of those, it was, like I said, you were naive, but you were also a romantic when it came to um, your career. Yeah. And I am still in some ways, I guess I'm more of a pragmatic r- romantic. <coughs> yeah, a prom- I, a I, pragmatic I, romantic. I like that. A pragmatic romantic. It's like, I like for all that wonderful, wonderful stuff to come and sweep me away and blah, blah, blah. But I'm also, you know, I'm 49 years old and I know the truth about some things. So uh, I know I've made um, great friends. And when I wrote that first book, I didn't know that I was a mystery writer. The It had some uh, very much a psychological suspense bent, but yeah. I didn't know that's what my voice was so you know I took years to figure out that I was a mystery crime writer and once I figured that out I haven't had a had problems you know writing stories because now I know who I am you know Mm -hmm. that's the biggest challenge with any writer knowing who you are as a writer and what it is that matters to you when you write well, you tackled Agatha Christie. Was she one of your early influences, and who else, if and and or not, if her? I would say um, my biggest influence actually has been. Um, I would say uh, Stephen King has been yeah. my biggest influence because he was uh, the one who the first big books you ever read as a, a, a kid were all yeah. his, right. and while they terrified me. I couldn't stop reading because I didn't know what this place called Maine was, but he was writing it and I couldn't stop reading it. So I loved his sense of of place. I love that he focused on just regular people who are faced with tremendous uh, obstacles and barriers and fears. And, you know, this little black kid in L.A., I, I felt that. So I would say he, he was he was my biggest and remains my, my, my biggest influence. I'm actually looking forward to having the time one day to read the institute because it's like what has he done this time? It's still yeah. he still he still influences me. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as as the the mystery genre, um, Walter Mosley of course and Michael Connolly. And I remember wanting to actually be um I wanted to write uh, Walter Mosley meets Terry McMillan, who wrote, you know, Waiting to Excel, because I wanted to combine that her very strong black female characters with crime. It's like, what would that look like? And I would say those thinking and and looking toward those two helped shape me as a as a crime writer in Los Angeles. 
Well, you basically answered my next question, which was how did the creation of L.A. Homicide Detective Ella Louise Norton come about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and right. it also came about because – huh? No, go ahead. Oh, it also came about I'm, uh, as I was between contracts. You know, I did some self-publishing because I was still writing in between the A Quiet Storm and Land of Shadows. I, was, I just couldn't get um, – I couldn't land a contract. And in between that, I had some health issues. I was um, pregnant with my daughter, and I was diagnosed with this uh, this weird breast cancer. And oh, wow. I fought it while I was yeah I was fought, I was I had surgeries while I was pregnant, and she of wow. course she came out healthy, and you know I was blessed like that. And then I had three years later another another episode. And so at 37 years old, here I am, uh, a mom, married mom, with this little girl, and I'm having breast surgery after breast surgery. And so I'm thinking about my mortality. Sure. And at this point, I was like, well, if cancer is going to be a part of my life, what is it that I want to do before I die? And it was a very, you know, a, a real thing for me to think about. Sure. And one of those things was writing the story that I've always wanted to write, and that was a p- procedural. And since I had already faced down the worst thing and the scariest thing that could possibly ever happen to me, I started Land of Shadows, thinking, well, if it doesn't, if it works, that's great. If it doesn't, that's great. But this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. And I wrote it, and it got bought. So. Uh, you know, kind of a fuck you. Oops, can I say that? Uh, yes, cancer. you can. This is a podcast. <laughs> you say whatever the fuck you want. That's right. And we write, and we write about dead bodies. So it's between, uh, it was between. It was between um, no longer having fear and my desire to read something that I hadn't really read yet. That that helped bring Lou Norton to pages. And, you know, um, it's weird how cancer does that. Can incite you to do the most the craziest thing that you can think of when it comes to your to your career and i'm glad it did so just just to before we move on you're clear now mm-hmm. yes i i finished my tamoxifen therapy on my birthday uh i'm 49 so that six years ago and I've had other health issues other than that, but nothing as scary as 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 that. I my health problems now are all of um, a result of the great treatment that I received to get me through um, the cancer thing. But I'm healthy and I'm I'm happy, and it's weird to be healthy because all of, all throughout my 30s I had health issues. You know, I write. Only well, I write as therapy actually as uh, gaining some sense of control because I had no control over anything else really, but writing was therapy for me, and I could disappear once more. You know, a lot of writers or big readers they disappeared in books, mm-hmm. and writing and reading helped me disappear from that and and have a say in what my destiny was. Yeah, well, um, out of uh, that turmoil came some really excellent writing, and thank God for both, for both. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So we have a lot of listeners um, 
you might be surprised people do listen to this podcast. We have a lot of listeners who are writers at all different <laughs> stages. I'm, believe me, I'm surprised every time I get an email. But we have uh, we have a lot of writers that listen, and they're all, all different stages of the career. And I know they like to learn about an author's journey. We don't we don't have to go too deeply into it. But how long did it take you to get published from first ink on paper to a publisher saying yes and actually sending you a check? Ah, so um, for my very first book, I. It took me about a year to write because, of course, I I, I worked even back then. I worked full time. And a year has passed when you're working full time and you haven't been published yet. That's pretty fast. I'm crazy. Yeah, I guess it feels it feels because it still takes me about the same time. It takes about nine months to get through um, mm. a draft that I'm ready to send off to my agent. But for a quiet storm, it took about a year, and. Back then, the internet was a baby. This was in two, the 2000, actually. Yeah, 2000. And I remember, of course, doing the query letters all by envelope. And so, wow. Yeah, with the SASE. So much but fun. the agent that I, I did get to email on Netscape, probably, <laughs> because it was that old, um, she was one of the few that took e-submissions. And... That took – she requested something uh, maybe three days uh, after I'd sent and then asked for some pages. And it was weird because I was at a funeral for uh, my grandfather-in-law when I got the email. And then it took about two weeks for her to say yes. And that was wow. 2000. But then it took a while. It took – that August of 2000 until February of 2001 for Scribner to say yes, and then it was pra- uh, yeah, and then it was published the next year, the the first anniversary 9/11. So yeah, and then that was published in 2002, and then I didn't get another contract until uh, 2013 when. Forge wow. bought Land of Shadows. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time. It was a very long time. Talk about determination, though. A lot of people would have given up. But, you know, I got my book published. Yeah. I, got one I usually I give up for about a day because I'm <laughs> pretty pissed off when something happens, and it's like, I'll never write again. And then the next morning I get up because that's what we do. That's who we are. I've always been, you know, a writer. And as much as it frustrates me, it's I I can't not write. I tried it. That was a long eight 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 hours being asleep <laughs> between me saying I'm never going to do this again to getting up the next morning to do it. So you have so, a day job. You have a family. Yes. What is your uh-huh. writing day like? Because you tell you say you get uh, a, a yeah. book done in nine months. That's that's hauling ass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I um, am a fundraiser, a fundraising writer at uh, Cedar Sinai, which is a huge uh, health system out here. And my last three jobs have been writing. So that helps a lot because I know how to write on a dime. When you write for a living, you can't be precious. You can't say, oh, I don't feel like it. The music's not here. You just do it. So that helps with 
keeping my writing muscle up. So I get to work uh, for 6 o'clock, and I write until 7, 7.15, mm. and then I start the day job. Um, when I was younger and had more energy, I'd write at lunchtime, um, and then I write if my daughter has uh, soccer practice, I write at soccer practice. And I do that six days out of the week. On Sundays, I get up at 5 o'clock like I do during the weekday, and I write until about 8.30. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah. So well, a good hour a day, a good hour and a half a day I get in. And it's usually – and I write my first draft longhand. On, on, uh, that is crazy. Back. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, I I lock up when I try and do it. I can – I can go straight to the computer for my day job, but I can't do that with my novels because it just, it feels too formal. It feels like I can't mess up. It doesn't allow me to write that crappy first draft. So, yeah. So by the time I transcribe the entire thing, that's another draft basically. All right. You're revising as you go. Sure. Yeah. And then I print it all out, make hard edits, and then I actually type it back in. I don't edit that. Um, digital draft, so I'm getting a you know a bunch of rewriting done as I'm going along transcribing again. Well, you must be have very legible handwriting. I I was that kid with the good handwriting back in the day when they uh, taught handwriting. Uh-huh. Yes, and I like pads and I like pens and yeah, I I like the process. And you know, my family knows to, if you want to use one of my pens, they have to ask. <laughs> because my pens are precious, and you know, uh, balls are not cheap. Pentel inner gels are not cheap. So yeah, <laughs> I was that kid who uh, couldn't even uh, finger paint. Um, so, <laughs> as mentioned in your bio, which could have gone on even longer, um, how did your? I know there's very things you can and cannot say about when you're writing with somebody like James Patterson, but how did the um, invitation or collaboration come about? Well, they reached out to my agent, and he had read um, Land of Shadows and really liked the voice and really liked uh, how I wrote Los Angeles. And, you know, on, it was a Friday when Jill, my agent, called and said, oh, Jill hey, uh, yes, oh, I love her. She's absolutely wonderful. She's absolutely wonderful. Um, but she asked, you know, she told me that, the call had come and was I interested? And initially, you know, I was tired. It was a Friday at four and I was absolutely exhausted. And the thought of adding one more thing to my, my, my to-do list, you know, it was the last thing I wanted to do is more work. But then of course I wanted to collaborate with James Patterson. Are you crazy? And so I said, yes. And it was an incredible experience. And I, remain grateful to him reaching out to see if I wanted to do this with him because, you know, I got to meet new readers mm-hmm. and I got to learn how he writes the formula of a James Patterson, uh, Patterson book, uh, mm-hmm. keeping those pages turning. So I learned a lot uh, from, yeah. from that experience. Well, what an incredible honor. Uh, and speaking yeah. of honors, I have to remember that. I always have to remember that. <laughs> well, hell yeah. I mean, that's a pat on the back. <clears throat> He's not pulling anybody yeah, up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. Yep. 
another honor. You've been invited to be a guest of honor along with T. Jefferson Parker at Left Coast Crime San Diego, which is next March. And uh, obviously it's a wonderful acknowledgement of your writing and your membership in the mystery community, which is a great community. Uh, But let's put that one aside. And how – what was the first mystery conference you attended? And do you think – did you think at the time that you'd ever be so fetid or feted? Or am I? (laughs) No, I – the first – the first writers conference I attended was actually the Writers Police Academy when oh. it was back in uh North Carolina. But the first mystery conference was VoucherCon when it was in Long Beach. And oh, that was it your was first so, I, wait, was that my first? That well no, actually Left Coast Crime when it was in Monterey Bay was my first. Oh, nice. Uh, um that was a nice one, but I think of VoucherCon mostly because of just how isolated I felt, because I think that was my second one. And it mm-hmm. was so big, and yeah. there are about, back then, there were about, you know, three black mystery writers mm-hmm. there, and we were all we were all spread out, and then also Naomi Hirahara. So it felt, I felt, um, I felt isolated and alone. I felt overwhelmed um and i remember going back to my room and crying at one point because it just it was just too much it was too much and not enough you know there are mm-hmm. too many people and not enough people who uh looked like me and you know i was ignored a lot and looking back it's weird because you know i know now so many people in publishing and it's not uh at, it, it while it's more diverse than what it was it's not enough but I know enough people to feel comfortable there when we go in in Dallas mm-hmm. you know but it, I, I, I do remember you know feeling vastly alone but it's a weird alone because I would say the mystery crime community is probably the warmest community there is you know in terms of writing everyone so very helpful and excited about each other's success, and that's you know that's a, that's a rare and wonderful thing. Um, so yeah, it, it, Left Coast Crime was great when it was in, in in Monterey, but I didn't expect much you know from that one because it was my very first, and the, my Land of Shadows had just gotten purchased, so I didn't go expecting right. much of anything. Yeah, yeah. But it's well, it's funny. again, it feels oh, like a long time ago when it was only that's 2014, five years ago. Five really? years ago, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, it's funny you mentioned Naomi Hirahara because uh, I'm, this may have been my first or second mystery writers convention. It was um, conference. It was uh, California Crime Writers when it used to be in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember the yeah. year, maybe, maybe 11 or something. And so I walk into the book room and I don't know anybody. And, uh, uh-huh. and so Naomi walks up to me and just says, well, Hey, what do you do? She just introduced herself and asked me what I do. <laughs> I, didn't, you know, I was just some schmo. And then I find out later, yeah. she is an Anthony award-winning author. And, uh, you know, that, that's yeah. been my, that's been my, um, introduction to the, and that's been my feeling and, and introduction to the mystery community is that it is very warm 
And yeah, it is very and she welcome. has always been a great ambassador because I remember right. her doing that to, to me too and making me uh, feel so welcome and giving me someone to talk to. Melanie's great like that. So we should we should send her to Mars when you know when it's time to make the Martians feel good about who they are. I don't know. She's just she's just she's awesome. awesome. I really love her. Um, so. I didn't tell you how long we're going to go, but it's usually about 25, 30 minutes. We're right there. So what are you working on now? I, Besides my edits for my next standalone, which will be out in September next year, and now she is gone, I am getting in a lot of reading. Um, I'm judging a few things, and uh-huh. I am uh, chasing my 10th grader around the county of Los Angeles. So <laughs> a bunch of everything. I'm well, trying to figure out what my now. next story is going to be. Well, huh? but you just you're just finishing one too, and that's of course there's always that, that can be never ending. So what is it now? And now she's gone about, and when will it be out? Uh, it, it'll, it'll be out September 2020, and it's a story about two women, both uh, who have mysterious past. One woman who is missing and wants to remain missing, and the other woman hired to find her. So it's a story about um, identity, about um, domestic abuse, and about, once again, uh, Los Angeles and how everybody knows everybody and everybody knows no one and just how wonderful that can be. Yep, yep, yep. I I actually think it's the best novel that I've written. I think I've hit hit those one million words that Malcolm Gladwell was talking about because everything that I've learned has gone – has gone into this story, so I am I am really looking forward to to sharing it with you and everyone next Great. September. Fantastic! Um, I think I'm stuck on nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. I've been there for a couple of years, but maybe I'll get <laughs> that million. Um, okay, so the last thing: how can people find you on social media? I on Twitter, which is my favorite. I'm at Rachel Halzel, H-O-W-Z as in Zebra, E-L-L. I'm also on Facebook with the Rachel Halzel Hall and Instagram, if I'm forced to be, um, at Rachel Halzel, I think it is. So, yeah, but Twitter is my everyday, is my everything. I love that, love that space. So find me there. Twitter is awesome. Twitter's the one that I have forced. I'll go there. I can do the other two, but not Twitter. But anyway, um, yeah. well, great, great to have you on. And and I, I, did I get a date when the uh, California crime or left coast crime? Anyway, it's March the twelfth to the fifteenth down here in San Diego, where I reside. And so Yay. comes Rachel, be a guest of honor with the great T. Jefferson Parker. Two people that um, I like, respect, and really enjoy their writing. Oh, thank you. So thanks for coming on, mm-hmm. and when the book comes out thanks next September, you bet. We'll get you on next year. Yes, please. I'd love to come back. All right, I'd and uh, I, will, I will see you, if not in Dallas at BoucherCon. I'll certainly see you when you're the guest of honor. Yay. I'll see you then. Okay. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Okay, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, please join me again on The Corner in two weeks when I have – when I interview, rather, Hank Philippi Ryan about her new book, The Murder List. That's going to be a tough one because Hank's won like 35, 40 uh, Grammys or Emmys, uh, TV Emmys, for being a reporter, and I have to interview her. So I'm going to feel nervous for that one. 
Uh, also, if you're in a book club and would like an author to answer questions and talk about his work, that would be me. I'd love to talk to you. You can find my email address on my website, mattcoilbooks.com. In the meantime, this is a copyrighted, trademarked podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I will talk at you in two weeks. <laughs>